optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer your personal question? Now it is in a broken time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com TFS. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where each episode it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers, to tease out the habits, routines, morning rituals, favorite books, etc., that have made them spectacularly good at what they do. And there are patterns that you notice across disciplines. That is why I interview people from a very broad spectrum of areas, like the military, entertainment, chess, sports, comedy, etc. So it ranges from Arnold Schwarzenegger, to General Stanley McChrystal. And now, in this episode, we have a dynamic duo. We have Seth Rogen, at Seth Rogen, R-O-G-E-N, who is an actor, writer, producer, and director, and his partner in crime, Evan Goldberg, at Evan D. Goldberg on the Twitters, who is a Canadian director, screenwriter, and producer. Together, they get into a whole lot of mischief and create some amazing comedy. I had a chance to spend some time with both of these great gents, as well as their team, which is spectacular. And I won't mention the location in case they're keeping that quiet, but here's some background. They've collaborated on films such as Superbad, which they actually first conceived of as teenagers, Knocked Up, Pineapple Express, The Green Hornet, and Funny People. They've also written for The Ali G Show and The Simpsons. 
In 2013, Evan and Seth released their directorial debut, This Is The End, which was actually a combination of two different ideas, and we get into that in the conversation. In 2014, Seth starred in and produced, alongside Evan, Neighbors, which was a worldwide comedy hit and has taken in more than $268 million worldwide. And then appearing in the news yet again in December 2014, Rogan and Goldberg's film The Interview became easily the most talked about news story around the world. And that was not just in the entertainment mags, but in every different publication because of many reasons. So under extremely difficult circumstances, the film persevered to become Sony Pictures' number one digital title of all time. Neighbors 2 is shooting right now and will be released next May. Seth and Evan are also in production on Sausage Party, which I saw a clip of, a prelim clip, which is a raunchy animated movie for adults about one sausage's quest to discover the truth about his existence. And I really hope to God that some of the raunchier scenes make it in because they will make your head explode. Seth and Evan are producing that film with Megan Ellison and Conrad Vernon. In our conversation, the one you're about to listen to, we discuss all manner of tactics and silliness, including Kyokushin Karate, Karate, empty hand, and uh, how they participated in that, writer's block and related debates, does it exist, does it not exist, how do you contend with it, if it does, writing process, Uh, I ask questions like, who are the most underrated comedians and comedy writers, what is the odd book that Judd Apatow recommended to them, which happens to also be Woody Allen's favorite, how Superbad got made after they first drafted around age 13, how Kids in the Hall influenced them, the movie they both wish they'd written, common pot mistakes, so if you're just listening to this for a marijuana playbook, well, there might be something in here for you as well. So recommended noob pot for working versus relaxing and much, much more. So I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, As always, if you're not getting my five bullet Friday newsletter, check it out. It is a very, very popular. It's just a short email with a lot of tactical stuff gets sent out every Friday. You can check that out fourhourworkweek.com forward slash Friday. That's all spelled out fourhourworkweek.com forward slash Friday, or just go to fourhourworkweek.com and enter your email there. And for all the show notes for this episode, all the links, etc., just go to fourhourworkweek.com and click on podcast. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Evan, Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I appreciate you guys taking the time, especially in this very busy, busy month that you gents have. And uh, I thought we could start with a story that uh, we discussed a little bit, Evan, in the car, which was Kyokushin. So tell me about your karate. Karate? He knows Kyokushin guy. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we so were funny. talking about when we were kids how, uh, how, how we behaved and how I was a softy. And so I did rugby and karate to try and toughen myself up. And I joined at the Jewish Community Center, which is one of the places we became really good friends. Yeah, Seth true. had been doing it a few years before me. Yeah. We'd already met in bar mitzvah class. And our parents were like, ah, Jewish Community Center. That can't be much, you know, just simple karate. And they let us beat the living shit out of each other. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty... Uh, I realized, like, we were the bad guys from Karate Kid. You yeah. were the Cobra Kai. We were Cobra Kai, yeah. like We were banned from tournaments. We were banned from tournaments, and then we finally went to a tournament, and I realized that, like, the way they taught us to fight, like, was not conducive to tournament fighting, and I punched a guy in the throat and got disqualified <laughs> from the tournament, basically. And I didn't know that that wasn't, like, what you were supposed to do. Like, I was just like, oh, we're supposed to beat the shit 
out of this That's person. That's what you conditioned to respond yeah, with. Yeah, like, like the, I, I have a memory of one time where they made me fight that, like, 35-year-old yeah, woman yeah, yeah. when I was 14. And she, like, choked me out on the oh, yeah. ground until I passed wait, out. Wait, this was in class? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember fighting, uh, like, full-grown men, too. I remember hitting a, that guy, Rod, Rod, so hard. This guy, Rod, was, like, a 280-pound, three guy. And he was, like, 14. I was, like, 14. And I hit him so hard in the face with, like, a spinning backhand that he... It, like, knocked him. It, like, almost knocked him out. It, like, dazed him completely. And then they let me... Then they, like, they let him fight me again. And he, like, punched me in the mouth so hard I, like, couldn't... Uh, I couldn't, like... I think my mouth started bleeding. And then I hurt... And then... But, uh... Yeah, man, there's so many stories that are flooding. Well, I haven't thought there, about there, it for there, so long. There's the but, day that ended it all where yeah. I got kicked in the hip by a 40-year-old black belt who fractured my hip. Yeah. And then he backed up into a pillar and got a piece of wood lodged in his foot and thus ended our Kyokushin <laughs> yeah. career. But I remember fighting the teacher on the ground one time. Like, the teacher... Sean would like I remember like grappling on the ground with him and like to the point where he would just like do anything you can and I was like trying to bite him I was like spitting on him and like that was like what you were supposed to do in the class one, one time like, when I was if, doing if that if you did it you would get in trouble and he'd be like you could do more like at yeah, one was, time I spat <laughs> in his face and then he took the spit and rubbed yeah, it in my did face the exact same thing to and me. then just started yeah, slapping yeah, me yeah, with my spit all over my literally face literally the exact same thing to me and we that, thought it that. was like this is what I thought that was what the the Jewish Community Center karate is. <laughs> yeah. The, so you mentioned Kyokushin. You're like, I don't think you know people get the wrong image when I tell them karate. And I, from having lived in Japan for a year as an exchange student, it was the first time I got exposed to Kyokushin. And those were like the bad boys of the karate world. It was very well known. Like you don't want to get the, the leg kicks were very famous. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. dude. One time I got the, there was oh, this guy, got, the dentist. There was like again we fought like we fought like grown men. So it was like a this was, this yeah. was child abuse. Oh, it really was. And like this guy had the longest legs in the entire world. He had these little brown slippers on. Yeah. And I, uh, and he just like kept kicking my legs out from under me relentlessly, and there was nothing I could and they do made to stop every, it. All of us, they made and, all of us watch as he did it to him for like yeah, ten and, minutes, yeah. <laughs> and just like I just like would get up and then like try to fight again, and he would just like smack my legs out from under me, and just like I remember just like hitting the ground Man, like a ton there was, of bricks. There was this one guy, the guy who ended up fracturing my hip, which ruined my rugby and karate. Fracturing your hip is not uh, a small uh, hairline fracture. Yeah. It wasn't terrible, but it's enough that I couldn't run and stuff like that. Uh, Malcolm, and oh yeah. He would do this thing. To this day, I can't comprehend how he did it. In a movie, you wouldn't believe it. He literally, like, casually put both hands behind his back in a small room and was yeah, like, yeah. try and hit me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't. And I'm like 15, 16, real fit. I've been doing karate for like five years, and I couldn't even touch him. Yeah. I remember Malcolm kicked me in the eye once so hard <laughs> that my parents had to call their family friends who were eye doctors and take me to their house <laughs> after the karate class because I like couldn't see out of one of my eyes for God. like three hours. <laughs> but I regret nothing. I regret nothing either. It's weird. It's weird now because I'm so – and I was always like not a violent person and I'm not competitive and I don't like care about any of that stuff that much. So, did it, so did, did it turn you guys off of that type of thing sort of indefinitely um, past that point? Or was certainly it? as somebody who has like TMJ and like has had some joint issues, I can identify that that is – too brutal like yeah. their knuckles were all puffed up and because we would break boards and if you didn't break the board 
you had to try again. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. split a knuckle in two. Yeah. Sounds like a liability nightmare. It really, it's weird because it was <laughs> happening at the Jewish community center. And that's what's so strange about it. And it read like, and I don't think any of our parents, my parents would come and watch sometime, but they thought, I, get, I don't think anyone had a frame of reference maybe. So they just thought like, oh, that's what karate class is. No, my parents would just pick me up and like yeah. not comment that I was bleeding from somewhere. No, my parents would come sometimes because I started when I was younger. So they like knew uh, I did it for like over, I think I did it for 10 years or something like that. I did it for time. seven and you did it three more. Yeah, I think I started. Yeah, I did. For and we really did it with our time. buddy uh, Fogel <laughs> and our buddy Corbin and our buddy Glansberg. And they would just make us as friends beat the shit out of each other. Yeah, it was pretty. Glansberg was soft. He was never. <laughs> but he got, to, he got to fight the younger guys, which yeah. made him probably feel pretty good. Yeah. And when did you guys first meet? I mean, first encounter each other? Uh, it was, I was going to, I went to like two hours of after school, Hebrew school, Tuesday, Thursday, and he went to like a half Hebrew school, half normal school. It was a pretty much like, it was like a Hebrew school. No, it was like, they did half and half studies, but it was like a full on like Jewish elementary And school. he would get out when I would go in and I, w I took the class at the synagogue, which was beside his school. Right. So we would see each other for years. We didn't really know each other, yeah. but we would see Just each other. Guy. And I was kind of like the loudest but person from this side and he was the but loudest person But you were friends with Fogel. Side. Uh, I became, well, yeah, this guy, Sammy Fogel, who's the McLovin of Superbad. He's not yeah. really that big a loser. We just messed with him. <laughs> uh, he and I became good friends, and Seth's mother and his mother were good friends. And then it all kind of culminated to bar mitzvah class. Yeah. We all took Sunday morning, uh, what was it called? Uh, Tullison to fill in. to fill in class, where they would give us chocolate milk and bagels to lure oh, us yeah. in to, to learn how to do our bar mitzvah portions. Yeah, yeah, I'd go yeah. to bar mitzvah class if you give me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a weird mix, but it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and we just kind of met there, and because of Fogel, we became friends. Yeah. And when did you guys start collaborating? creatively in hindsight like eight months later yeah pretty and, and early how, how old were you guys at the time? around 13 12 13 it was literally uh and we, it's not like we pretend we don't remember we don't remember but we were watching some crappy movie and we just looked at each other and we're like we could write a better movie and yeah. there's like a pause and it's like we should write a better movie and i think i was doing stand-up already at that point and so like there was some context for like we can write things and they'll become right. things like i was already like writing things and then performing them so um it wasn't it wasn't just like to like we actually like wanted to make a movie <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't and 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 I had already seen like oh you can tangibly like do something like, and a lot can, of people so, uh, you know like oh you came all the way from Canada and and it's not like like Vancouver's a movie town yeah Vancouver's like, the movies at our high school like we're we, from we a bigger city happening. than almost anyone that we know in America is from and they all and, think we're like bumpkins <laughs> exactly from like we're from a real city and where they made tons of movies and so you would see movie sets everywhere growing up at our high school they shot a lot of movies that and Diamond Phillips movie Mastermind yeah. starring a Patrick Mastermind Stewart. Patrick Stewart and Vincent Carthizer. uh it's not a fantastic movie but it was shot at our high school <laughs> And um, <laughs> and so you would see it around, and so it was like it was kind of and no, we didn't know anyone in the business or anything like that, or who was involved in movies, but um, it was just like around, and so you yeah, my, kind of my like, first interaction yeah. was our friend Amelia Wasserman's mother. Uh, Produced, produced like kids produced shows, kids shows yeah. and she like let me try to write some kids episodes and gave me some that's pointers. cool and i think julian really marinus's cool. dad like produced tv shows or something like that i can't remember like we knew people whose parents like had like kind of like you know uh jobs and like it was around it was just kind of around yeah and, and then yeah. uh uh this girl i dated abby salzberg her mother was a writer for the newspaper and she kind of gave me some pointers and helped me out so we had like some help but we didn't really have a hard in yeah. I think one of my distant, distant cousins was a producer on Passenger 57. 
hmm. the Wesley Snipes movie. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and that I remember hearing as a child. <laughs> it's, it's really fascinating that so you're given the opportunity to kind of tinker in the writing perspective with uh, with these episodes. When I grew up next to the uh, the gent who created the Choose Your Own Adventure book series. What? Yeah, that's and so, awesome. And so we had my brother and I chances to test drive his books. Oh, you know, that's and, awesome. And provide feedback. And, and you're we, just like, this is a bad choice. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> if we gave him feedback, he ended up using. He would put our names into the books. So, so if you go back, there are a handful There's of books. There's Tim's that, in the books. Yeah, Tim, Tim Ferriss is no less. <laughs> Tim Ferriss is in the book. Uh, and it, yeah, that was. They were a power Tim couple. Tim Ferriss his, was his... walking through the woods one night. <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't did he it. go Does left he towards the dark path? Yeah, he was warned the mountains are dangerous. <laughs> and you guys, is it true that you started working on Superbad around that time? Yeah, was it, you know, that's was, what we started writing. We like, sat uh, down and started that. That was the first thing we ever tried to do. Was writing Superbad. Was writing Superbad. And, and, it, I, and it was It was terrible awful. at first, but it was really bad at first. But, um, but that being said, we liked movies so much and were so into movies that, like, looking back, we kind of instinctually, like, understood the vague structure of movies in like a pretty instinctual way right. and like the and movie we, and we loved bad movies which i think actually was extremely beneficial because yeah. it showed us what not to do we watched right. tons of b movies there was this place like called videomatica was that what it was called there were seven movies for seven dollars for seven days yeah it was great and we would go and do that and watch them all. Yeah. yeah. And it was, you know, get like two good movies and five crappy movies. But then around this time was when movies like Pulp Fiction and Clerks and like that, like like uh, Rushmore and uh, Bottle Rocket, like it was kind of like the dawn of like 90s independent cinema. And we were really, really into those movies too. And again, a lot of those movies, you know. Uh, at least in theory, had and in myth had kind of like a do-it-yourself feel, where well, like I mean, Kevin Smith just cl- made cl- clerks, clerks, and, clerks especially. Clerks, it's clearly yeah. like they just got a camera. It was made. A bunch of friends were like, "Let's fucking do this," and yeah. they did. It. And that was very like inspirational to us uh, because it just seemed very achievable, you right. know. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons we again started doing it. It was just like we're like it was about high school kids. We knew high school kids. I wanted to be an actor. We knew there was other kids in our school. Who who were trying to be actors and stuff like that. And so it just kind of seemed like we, like if we write a high school movie, we could make a high school movie basically. Yeah. And uh, he, he had his stand up start. And uh, for me, it was like when I was like five years old, if you asked me what I wanted to do was be a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. They actually tried yeah. to send me to a psychiatrist in elementary school because <laughs> I would write like dark stuff. Cause my <laughs> at Hebrew school, I learned about the Holocaust and I kept writing about the Holocaust and they thought there was something wrong with me. But I remember Evan, when, I, when we met, he was like the first person I ever met who like wrote, recreationally other than me like i wrote stand up and he wrote like stories and stuff like that and i remember like when you're like a 13 year old kid (laughs) it's like (laughs) you know meet a lot of other 13 year old kids who's like what are their hobbies is writing recreationally it's not not that common and so and he kind of made me realize with the stand-up he was like like he just did it and so we both were like what if we just did this uh no one at this age is trying to do it so if we get a jump on it maybe we'll do okay and also it seemed like the easiest path to becoming a writer like yeah. i've tried to write a novel once and i failed it is yeah. really hard. Novels, yeah. are hard novels are hard <laughs> yeah and you just funny you mentioned the the school psychologist so i was sent to the school psychologist also everyone in this as, room as, as i a, was for sure yeah. sent to several <laughs> because i was forced to do writing assignments i didn't want to do and so thematically i would turn them into stories about serial killers and different types of <laughs> yeah, murder that's kind of what i did <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's a common reaction. Really. I, wrote, I wrote a dystopian future story about a bunch of kids trying to get out of a Nazi-controlled future, and it ended with all of them dying. You invented the young adult novel. And yeah. <laughs> you invented Divergent and, uh, <laughs> and the Hunger Games. And I remember the reason they tried to send me to shrink is because I drew the picture of all their corpses at the end. Oh, nice. That's a, that's a nice touch. Yeah, for those people who wouldn't take the time to read it. The, uh, You've got to really spell it out what was the difference for you, Seth, then in the early days uh, between – what were the biggest differences between writing for stand-up – and this could be contemporary, like yeah. in general, and writing for film, for instance? Um, it, I've thought about it a lot. And when we started writing movies, I honestly like – and when we started doing it more, I kind of became less interested in writing stand-up in some ways because like – and I honestly think that good stand-up – I wasn't the best stand-up comedian is one thing. Like I would, I was pretty good. I was like a B plus stand-up comedian, A minus. I wasn't like an A plus stand-up comedian. And I'm not saying that we're like the best scriptwriters in the world, but we've achieved A plus moments, I think, here and there. And so that that was one of the things I was just like aware of. I would just like watch other people do it and be like, wow, this guy's like doing something like that. I. Like he's, they're just better at it than right. I am, you know. And when we started writing movies, I started to feel like, oh, like we act like this. I feel like we could maybe again, like really carve out our own niche doing, which I didn't feel like I was particularly doing doing stand up. I was young, and that was at first a niche. Is like I would write about my young person's experience, but then as I got older, I found like. I don't know. As a stand-up, I was struggling a little bit to find a unique perspective. Um, I, have, I have a theory. You ceased to be tortured. Yeah, exactly. That was part of it. I was, like, really tortured when I was... I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't that tortured. Not really right? tortured, but, like, yeah, like, yeah. like, you know, young neuroses and anxiety. Yeah, uh, stand-up comics function largely, not all of them, but a lot of them on anxiety oh, and worry yeah, totally. and, like, self-obsessed. I don't have like that eating. much. Yeah. I don't find myself that interesting. It's <laughs> <laughs> honestly one of the other things is, like, I... And I think writing and that's one of the reasons i think writing movies was was better is because i was writing other people and i also struggled with stand-up is that you can only really and again good stand-ups do this but i couldn't find a way to do it is like i can only talk from one perspective in stand-up but in a movie you can write two or three or four or five or six perspectives all in one scene you could have five guys arguing there about how to you know turn you know how to do anything what's the best way to get out of this room you know and to and and as we started writing like you know some of the best scenes that we've ever achieved are literally just people screaming at each other and so like I think that was something that I thought was very funny that we were good at was like conflict and it's hard to have like conflict in stand-up comedy for, for me I couldn't find a way to do it other people do it and they tell stories that involve conflict and the whole thing is about you know the struggle and I look at it now and sometimes I think like man if I kept doing it I maybe would have broken through a wall but um I just I don't know and and I loved movies that was the other thing is just like and I I loved movies also but I was yeah. a bit more of a comic nerd he was a comic nerd too but yeah. I was like extreme comic meaning comic book yeah. yeah my brother is a like natural speed reader he reads at a remarkable pace he can read a book in a day like a 400 page book just burn through it so he would read comics 
and mountains of them would form yeah. and then he would draw them. So I would mimic him because he was two years older and I would read all the comics he read and then try to draw like him. He's actually an expert. Uh, he's a very good artist. He drew all the penises for Superbad, yeah. <laughs> which were good. And, and, and he's Did like, he make a cameo in The Big Lebowski on the notepad? Yeah, <laughs> no, that would have been amazing. And, and he's a lawyer now, but uh, I tried to like mimic him with that stuff and, and comics are just movie storyboards, really. Definitely. They're very cinematic. Yeah, and I read all the comic books too. I think that's it. I mean, it's like... We connected heavily over Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, we love that. One of the also. best of all time. Yeah, but, the, the sarcasm of it, it like forged our... Uh, oh, it's genius. But uh, I think we just liked like the cinematic, like again, comics and movies. Like it just seemed appealing. Um, and again, and I think, yeah. I and it's know. funny that at the time, like like if you look at what we've done recently, like we like grandiose things. We like big things to happen, end of the world scenarios and all that. But at the time... All we knew was that we really wanted to get laid, we weren't getting laid, yeah. and we weren't super cool. Yeah. And, and I think the reason Superbad worked out is it's rare that you are the thing you're writing on at the moment you're doing it, right. and you're self-aware of it. Yeah. And we're still, I mean, and we that's something that we've continued to try to do, honestly. I mean, Neighbors, you know, is a very good example. It's All our friends are having our kids. Our friends are having kids or trying to have kids and are married and are getting older and are moving into different places. Yeah, and like, I don't like, have a kid and I, I want to go out and I call all my friends and none of them can come. Exactly. And so uh, I think from the get-go... Um, and that's something that came from stand-up comedy. Like, there's a comic named Daryl Lennox who still performs, um, who is great. And he, the comics were very nice to me, which is, in retrospect, insane. Because I would not be nice to, like, a 13-year-old kid who was doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> I don't think. Maybe I would. But I don't assume I would. But I remember he saw me perform. And I used to have, like, jokes. I would try to, like, mimic other comedians like Stephen Wright or Seinfeld. Like, what's the deal with Crazy Glue? And he was like, he was like, dude, you're like the only 14 year old. He's like, you're the only person here who could like talk about trying to get like a hand job for the first time. Like, <laughs> talk about that. Yeah. Like, that is like so much more interesting than anything you're talking about. Like, <laughs> why aren't you just talking about that? And I was like, oh, you're right. That's actually a very good way of doing it. And then that kind of carried through everything. In Writing what you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, I've been really fascinated just sort of observing you guys work. And, uh, you know, realizing, at least for me, when you guys started super bad at a time when those, uh, all of those feelings were, were very kind of ever present in your lives. And when I look back at say past books, people have asked me like, what would you edit? What would you change? And, and I don't want to touch it because I feel like it was written at a very precise point in time related to very specific pains yeah. that I might not be experiencing now because it's, uh -huh. uh, you know, that chapter is passed on. What, uh, what does your writing process look like now? A lot of people have asked me to ask you both this. Uh, but what is just from the the very first sort of concept stages? Well, uh, as I was telling you earlier, it's changed a little. Uh, we just did this project Preacher with a guy named Sam Catlin who right, worked on Racing Bad. Yeah, and and we used to immediately start like kind of we we would always write down ideas, and he taught us this new trick of not writing down ideas for a good month and just talking, shooting it around, and talking and talking and talking. And I, I kept saying like, now we're gonna write. Right. And he was like, no, no, no. We just keep talking. And that's a new trick that I think was great. Just mm -hmm. spend way more time talking yeah. about it. That's what he said in Breaking Bad. They would do is just like before they did anything, they would just talk and talk and talk. And it's something actually like we did in Undeclared when I look back at it. It's like we're just anxious to get going, I think, sometimes. But but I feel like now I mean, and it's kind of always been this way in that, like, we'll come up with ideas and it's like sometimes it, it it's like it's. 
there's almost like a Darwinistic process where yeah, it's, it's like a, it's if a they're around the a year later or so, like if it's something we're still talking about, sometimes years later. There's some, I mean, like there's this movie that we're talking about writing. I was going through old files, like the first one's from like 2011 or something yeah. like that. I mean, like, I mean, a, a tangible example is yeah. this is the end. Uh, we had two separate ideas. One was a movie about the apocalypse, and yeah. another one was celebrities playing themselves in a disaster-type scenario. Both of those ideas survived for four, five years, yeah. and they slowly, we realized, if we merge these things, it's going to be a good synthesis, yeah. and uh, and that was that's the perfect example. Like, we, we, I bet we, you know, we'd just be sitting around working on whatever, and then be like, what about that apocalypse thing? Yeah, or it's just what we talk about. Like, I mean, it's... It's like, you know, we like what we do and it's fun for us to think about it. So organically, we'd just be sitting there doing something else and that's the thing we would just start joking around about, you know? And then if it sticks around, then it at least means that we like it as an yeah, idea. Like, 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 like lately, I've been obsessed with artificial intelligence and we're not writing anything about that. But in a year from now, if I'm yeah. still talking about it, Maybe, Maybe that'll so. happen. So when you have something that's really persistent like that, and you have, say, the celebrities playing playing themselves in the end of the world, and you're like, you know, this could be really interesting if we combine these two things. At the time, uh, not necessarily now that you have the, the input from the, the Breaking Bad writer uh, on that approach, but what were the next steps that you guys took once you were like, you know what, let's, let's try to pull the trigger on this? We, well, we... It took us a really long time to figure out how to do it, honestly. Like, that was one of those movies where, bizarrely, it just took us, like, <laughs> we could think of the first three, two acts of the movie, and then we couldn't figure out how to end the movie. And it literally took us, like, a year and a half, I think, until we thought of the idea that they realized they can still redeem themselves, basically, which is what allows the third act to happen, which is they're all start trying to redeem themselves. And and we just didn't think of that. And it was literally just like, we couldn't do it. And meanwhile, we're working on other stuff and doing it. It's not like we're just sitting in a room for a year and a half, like, banging our heads against the walls. Like, we're still doing things, but that... If, if like I mean, in that example, it literally just took us a really long time to come up with the idea that allowed the movie to to function. And then once we thought of that idea, I remember we wrote the first draft of this at the end in like nine days or something like that. Now, was like, that that was all three acts or just yeah the whole we wrote the whole movie like the whole first the hundred and twenty pages we wrote the whole script we sat it but it should up. be said we had an extensive outline. Yeah, because we've been kicking it around for years, and like one thing we do, a lot of our movies are kind of genre based, especially lately. You know, Pineapple Express, and this is the end, and the interview to some degree. And so, something we do is just watch tons of movies in that genre. And so, uh, like with this, the end, we just watch tons of these like horror movies and apocalypse movies and movies about isolation and kind of little groups of people that are stuck together and. As we do that, we just start joking around and coming up with ideas. Oh, it would be funny if we if we send a guy out on a rope. It's like, oh, they need water. And you just kind of pick up these themes in the movies. Yeah, like, um, like when Craig Robinson went out of the house with a rope, that was based off of the mist. Exactly. Right, right. And part of it, I mean, and, and we talk a lot about of it is like really trying to like have our cake and eat it too in these movies. Like it, it's like we, we are kind of like mocking the genres as we're trying to participate in them full heart, fully, you know, and in doing that, we we like to it's almost like the characters in the movie are aware of the same cultural references that we are and so it would stand to believe that like, all that stuff would be on the table basically right. and so so that's a big part of the process is just lists 
of ideas, tons of ideas. Jonah gets possessed. Someone gets puked on. They need water. Someone steals the water. Someone doesn't like the rules. They try to make rules. How do they split up the food? And some and of like, these do you, will do just you put this be... into like a notebook or do you put it into a Word document? Word, Word document. Word document. And we'll, we'll sometimes and it's have just like... A, it's just a running list. There's yeah. Running list. I think right now yeah. with the latest idea we're messing about we with... Like a 10 page we have like right a 10-page list. And I think there's another 10-page list we yeah. don't even and remember we have. And it's like, it's like a relationship-type movie. So there's like... It's just like things happen to us. And it's just like, oh, a fight about this. Yeah, oh, and it's as simple, it's a simple couch, as like husband who holds back wife. Uh, yeah. Wife who enhances husband's yeah. positive qualities. But, and then it's just like... It's also just like housewarming party. Like it's things right. like that. And like, or we'll go to a party and something funny will happen. And you put that in the So document. it's just a stream of consciousness collection it's, of these ideas. And, and, and again, and like... And like the ideas themselves, as you go through these lists over and over throughout the years, some ideas you kind of stick in your head and you remember, and some start to seem stupid, and you start to create characters kind of based on the ideas, or sometimes you come up with the characters first, and sometimes you'll just meet someone, and you'll be like, someone like that, like someone who is going through this in life, or you know what I mean? Um, and it can come from anywhere. And then for a while, we got really... Uh, uh, and then process-wise, I think we kind of strayed a little bit in that we got so busy, we started kind of like farming it out a little bit to other people, which is something that we're kind of trying to not do as much Yeah, we, we wanted to uh, do a lot of stuff, and so we yeah. had other people writing stuff for us, and it all worked out very well, but we got hankering I think our, to just sit I think down our with biggest two of us. Skill, I think I, literally at the end of the day, if like the thing we are best at is actually writing, and and I think we kind of stopped doing that honestly for a while uh, in lieu we, we of got, i mean we we got to we, we did, got the opportunity to become directors and that was yeah. so exciting yeah. that we just wanted to direct another one and, and then we going, became we and we going. were becoming producers as well which and, and like i mean and it was all kind of it wasn't like a plan it was a very organic thing that was happening as our careers were building and expanding into different directions but as that was happening looking back uh our writing which is probably the thing we're best at got kind of pushed to the side a little right. bit. But now that we've done, I think, a, a, a pretty okay job setting up these other things, our producing is going very well, our directing, you know, is established. And so I think we can refocus on writing things and kind of settle back into what we were doing before. And it's really basically. exciting, too, because the producing and the directing uh, yeah. caused this cycle where it was like, we got to get another one out because we need to, you know, you direct one movie, you're not really a director until you right. direct like two or three things, and then they're like, oh, this guy's not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. But now that we've gotten past that hurdle, we can go back to what we really like, which is writing things and not rushing. Yeah, exactly. How did the first script you guys collaborated on uh, that got sold... Or got made uh, cross that chasm. Super bad. Yeah, it took it took uh, ten years. It took years and years and years. Basically, I moved to L.A. to do Freaks and Geeks um, mm -hmm. when I was seventeen. Just a quick interjection there. Yeah. Why did they do a casting call at your? It was at your high school. No, it was. Um, or they in they your went town. to Vancouver. Okay. Uh, Sometimes on um Which is based in LA. It was it was it was based it was set in Michigan. It was shot in LA. LA right. But sometimes uh Judd and Paul Judd Apatow and Paul Feig, the creator Paul the creator and Judd, the executive producer of Freaks and Geeks, um, had a very they wanted very real kids and they had an idea from the beginning that they wouldn't find them in LA. Uh, that if you're uh, in LA, you're like an actor kid and that there's a good chance that you are not what they're looking for. That being said i think they cast i think everyone but me 
and one other guy out of L.A. But so they were kind of wrong. But thank God they looked at least because so what they did is they did casting calls in Vancouver and Boston and New York and Chicago and Toronto and all these cities. And I got to audition. Um in Vancouver, and they were there. Like Paul and Judd, like were in Vancouver. Yeah. I didn't know they were actually. There. Yeah, they were like in the room, and I recognized Paul Feig because he's in this movie uh, Ski Patrol, which I had he's seen. In Ski Patrol? Yeah, he's in Ski Patrol, and so uh, is he the topless woman? No, you're thinking of Ski, <laughs> ski School. <laughs> ski Patrol is <laughs> the less pervy version of Ski School. Then I am not interested. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Ski Patrol is not that pervy. There's maybe one, and or that's two why I don't know. It. Yeah, it's not. It's not Ski School. Um, but that threw me. Anyway, um, and so, yeah, and so they cast me from Vancouver, and I moved to L. I went there and shot the pilot, and then I came back, and then it got picked up, and then I'm, and, and so I was very lucky because I, like, moved to L.A., like, with a job. Like, I wasn't, like, one of, I didn't have to, like, go to L.A. and, like, f- try to find work right. for myself. Like, I went there employed, which was, like, I, I, at the time, I didn't realize, like, how many massive hurdles I was overcoming just by doing that. You know what I mean? Um, and then, so I was there, and then, meanwhile, we're writing super bad, and I give it to Judd. And Judd, um, Judd was very busy at the time running the show, which was, like, going down in flames, basically, even though it was very good. And so he kind of didn't pay too much attention to it at first. But Jake Kasdan, who was one of the directors of the show, um, who has gone on to direct uh, tons of movies and stuff like that, he directed the pilot of Freaks and Geeks. He... um he really he, he's just like a very nice guy he was around he's he was in his 20s very young and so he just like really took a lot of time to like sit with me and talk to me about it he would give us notes on it and like it was just very encouraging because he was like this is good and you could keep working on this yeah and i was and, just at university in, at mcgill in montreal the yeah. whole time because i couldn't come to america even if i wanted to because i didn't have a visa his dad's american my dad's american oh, so i just okay. uh but i wanted to be a writer and it seemed like via him on Freaks and Geeks, we had an inlet. Yeah. So I studied U.S. history so I knew who I was writing for better. <laughs> it was I, a good I, idea. I loved history, <laughs> and I thought if I understood Americans better, I could write better for Americans because I knew that I knew Canadians, and uh, and America's quite different. Yeah. yeah. But then after – at some point, Judd did read it, and it was um, during the show we did uh, Undeclared. Uh, so Freaks and Geeks got canceled, and then because – Judd read super bad. He got another show going the next year called Undeclared, which was about college freshmen. I was literally the exact age of a college freshman. And so, and he liked how super bad was written. So he hired me as a writer on the show. And so, and then during Undeclared, he really like took, uh, like a producerial role on super bad and would give us tons of notes and try to, and that's when we first started going around trying to sell it. That was in like 2000, 2001. And then 2002, he said, bring your friend on down. I'll, I'll throw him a tiny bit of cash so he can live. And you guys should try to write something else. So I came down and we spent two months writing Pineapple Express, which he, t- he told us to come up with 100 ideas for movies, which yeah. is insane. Yeah. We got to 50, which is great 
We yeah. never made any of them. And then, uh, and then he was like, these are awesome, but you should instead write a movie about a pothead who's a process server who gets hunted by his own dealer. And yeah. we said, that's stupid. Yeah. And that will end a career before it ever happens yeah. to do like a modern Cheech and Chong. And he just said, uh, but what if it was good? Yeah. And we were like, <laughs> oh, what if it was good? <laughs> and we love action movies and, you know, Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. And they were like, oh, what if we kind of make it like a 90s, like these 90s action movies that we love so much? And so we wrote Pineapple Express pretty fast. Like, we just loved it. Once just we started in a few doing weeks it. or a few months. We just, and we, we really just, like, we like locked six, ourselves a in a room. Like, maybe, like, six weeks or something like that. It was, like, one of those things where, like, wake up at 3 p.m. right until 6 a.m. Yeah, we were very repeat. unhealthy at this time in yeah. our lives. I, this, was that the time when we got a Costco card and gained, like, 20 pounds? Yeah, we, eating, just eat, we, like, we would get pasta and cheese because it was cheap. Yeah, and just and eat pasta and, and cheese all day long. Yeah. <laughs> it was gross. Um, so... So by the end of, I think, like 2002, both Pineapple Express and Superbad were written and just no one wanted to make them. And it would it would come close or be someone, oh, we might make it and then it wouldn't happen. And we might make it. And, and every now and then, and like I didn't have the money to do it, I would fly down, we would go and pitch it or my dad would drive with me from Vancouver and we'd go and pitch it. And every time we pitched it, probably 10 times, Judd and Seth and me would go and my dad would drop me off and we'd go in and they'd be like, we love this. This is great. And we're like, okay, so you're going to make it? And they're like, oh, no, we can't. Yeah. And I was supposed to play the Seth role. And slowly throughout this process, like, I just, I still remember the meeting where, like, always I was like, and I'm going to play Seth. And then I remember, like, it took so many years. There was, like, one meeting where I was like, I think this is the meeting where I no longer should say that I'm going to play Seth because I'm 23 years old. <laughs> but, um, so we. Uh, and these were uh, studio heads or studio execs? It was who all, it was every, it was, it was some new company with like weird money that comes from who knows where it was some studios it was like every type of thing you could imagine basically when did the, the sort of the, the the other shoe drop in the positive sense so, like, meanwhile like we start getting more we get hired on the ali g show which is great um and it's just it, it starts to make things like pick up a little for us. I was in the 40-year-old virgin, like, things like that started to happen. I, and, and while he was yeah. doing 40-year-old virgin, Judd invited me to participate in some capacity, but I knew I had to finish my degree yeah. so I could actually stay legally. So I finished my degree and missed out on that. And by the time I came down, the premiere had happened and the movie had hit. Yeah. And so Judd started to become a successful movie person. Um, like, uh, he was now a director and a writer and a producer and an incredibly successful one. So... Uh, and Anchorman had come out and done well, which he was a producer on. And then Talladega Nights came out and did really well. And I think it was... Wait, Talladega Nights didn't come out before we made Knocked Up. We made Knocked Up first, didn't we? We did. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I remember going with Judd to the DeVille Film Festival, I think, for 40-Year-Old Virgin, while he was here in Atlanta, I think, shooting Talladega Nights. I'm bad with years and time, but this is approximately what happened. And then around now, it's like, you know, when you get successful, like Judd was, people just start wanting whatever you have. And so it was, Sony was just like, we'll make stuff. And so they made super bad. And, 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 and then, and knocked at the time to make an, uh, however much it was, like twenty-two million. Like it was, it was, it was a bizarre model that had never been done. No yeah. famous people, low yeah. budget. It was kind of an experiment the studio was doing to yeah. see if they could make big movies at a smaller budget without famous people. And they also 
Pineapple, what's crazy is Knocked Up, Pineapple Express, and Super Bad were all made in like one year, I think, basically. Like, we made them like back to back to back because that it, it was essentially like once the floodgates opened, we right. just like shoved everything in there that we yeah. had. Like, 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 if you yeah. just look at like statistically, we're yeah. going to be done in two years. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so you have to take advantage of the window. Yeah, we just took everything. And. And then, and then knocked up, knocked up, and Superbad came out the same summer, and both did really, really well. And and so he was a co-producer on Forty Year Old Virgin, yeah. And they made him an EP on Knocked Up, and Judd just made me an EP too, which was bonkers. And I remember on the third day, yeah, Evan's first I, day on set, he was an executive producer of like I've never a been on a million, set in my life, million dollar Universal Studios and, comedy. And, and I remember Judd laughed really hard because I was like, "Can I just take however much water I want?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, man, you can have all the water you want." And I was like, "What about the coffee?" And he was like, "Yeah." So I would have like fourteen cups of coffee a day. And I remember I, I saw Catherine Heigl and I was like, "Hey, what's up? Uh, we've been working together for like a week." And then she went up to Seth and was like, "Wow, that guy's got a lot of." energy he's got great enthusiasm like, where does he get it from and he was like oh this is his first week on a movie set <laughs> he's had 14 cups of coffee yeah, uh, yeah. What, what was your reaction um evan when you first found out that Superbad was going to get made i mean was that i don't rem- i mean i assume i freaked out and lost my mind uh i don't remember or don't did remember. or was it not it, it's such a blur because as he said it all went down in one year it was just the most exciting year ever but also for me like He'd been working. Yeah. yeah. I'd been going to school. Right, right. Which meant not going to school and getting drunk and hanging out with friends. Like, I barely went to class. So I had this shocking shift from, like, slacker student to working 14 hours a day. And I remember I would have to sneak away and just, like, go into a bathroom and sleep for, like, 20 minutes because I wasn't used to it. I couldn't handle it. That's why I was drinking so much coffee. Uh, It was was a really hard transition for me. But Knocked Up was kind of like boot camp. Yeah. Because Judd... You know, it was his big shot to make something really huge. For sure. So we would go 16 hours, 17 hours, 14 hours. Long days, yeah. And I almost lost my mind. But by the end of it, I think I was like kind of uh, battle hardened. Right. Yeah. Conditioned for it all. And what what were some of the the lessons that you guys learned have learned from Judd? I mean, what are like some of the takeaways for whether it's the creative process or so? I mean, that, I mean, that's a that's a whole other. Part. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we could. Feel, I, I, yeah. I mean, I would say the biggest thing we learned from him, in my opinion, is like, and and we talked about this earlier, is don't keep stuff to yourself. Like right. you're surrounded by smart people, bring them in, get other people's opinions, share it with them. Yeah. Um, and most importantly. Emotion is what matters. It's an emotional journey. It doesn't matter if the aircraft carrier hits the skyscraper and it collapses onto the hero. It's what is he feeling when that happens and why does it matter that he has to get out of the rubble? He just taught us like emotion is the key. Like the 40-year-old version is a crazy weird movie. It's insane. But it's about a guy who's got like a wound that he wants to heal and through this journey he does and it's it's all about that. You mentioned that to me and every every character has to have a wound. Yeah, that's a big Judism. Yeah, I think, I mean, about the process, I mean, he basically, like, yeah, like, taught us the process that we use a lot, I mean, especially in regards to collaboration and... And improv, um, he he was somewhat revolutionary in, in, in how he did it. Like, people yeah. had done it before, like uh, Christopher Guest and other people, but Judd figured out a way to make improv and mainstream movies collide in a way that I don't think anyone had no one was really doing it like that and yeah i mean the filming process itself um and how how to work on set is something he's taught us a lot about i mean again and it's all it was stuff that was partially figured out together but he worked for years and years and years before us and i mean it's so funny it often i remember one time we were filming a scene and knocked up i think and improvising and he's or maybe it was even 40 year old virgin the direction he screamed at us 
because he screams direction from another room a lot, which uh, is hilarious. But what he screamed at us was less semen, more emotion. And I think like that is actually like an across the board good note to apply. The what, and yet still, we, we managed to get quite a bit of semen in there. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think it was just the area we were riffing right. on. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, what Evan was saying is exactly right. Like the emotional core, like what... What is it really about? Like, um, and 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 that the movies and that and that movies can be very sweet and still like, uh, and and especially if you're gonna make a movie that is so like, you know, um, dirty or aggressively, you know, um, you know, uh, filled with profanity and that thing that like it helps if they're sweet and if you right. really like if they're not mean spirited and if you uh and 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 write what you know is was a big thing and try to inject your own like honesty and experiences into your work even if it's a weird spy movie or end of yeah, the like movie. like this yeah. is the end is just about jay and seth and jay is upset that seth has found new friends and seth is upset that jay seems to be holding on to the past that's what the movie's about right. it has yeah. nothing to do with the apocalypse really that's just the 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 area it all went down in. Yeah. For, when looking at filmmaking or comedy uh, movies specifically, if if you guys could have written something that someone else wrote, right, besides your own stuff, where you're like, oh, I wish adaptation, adaptation. adaptation. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all right. It's the best. It's the best movie ever. Written. That, but yeah. It's it's, it's, it's a masterpiece, and the script is even better. Than the, the script movie. is great. The script the is the great. movie. Uh, I I I, th- I think they made the right choice with the changes they made, but the script is. Just yeah, unreal. Fantastic. That's like one of those. Not a lot of movies make me like mind blowingly jealous, but when yeah, I that, saw that, that, I was just like, Ugh. that ended like, like it, five of my best ideas. Like, I was like, oh, there should be a movie with someone who has anxiety represented by a character. And I was like, oh, yeah, he did this yeah, 10 yeah. times better than I ever could, plus 10 other things that I had. And, the whole, and the movie's like funny and awesome. And like, it's just and just the story of how that came together, also in terms of. Yeah, that he was I, hired to write the, to the adapt, adaptation right. and then he <laughs> yeah. freaked out and couldn't do it. I mean, it's like, it's unreal. You like, and, like the meta backstory is is so funny uh, and then i would say on a flip side uh to me the most magical uh emotional beautiful movie is the princess bride my favorite yeah it's, yeah. it's, so it's just it, it, i can't watch it too much that was uh you know I'm, I, i've had this fascination with screenwriting even though i haven't uh, pulled the trigger on anything but the the screenplay that did it was the princess bride reading yeah. uh what was it um William Goldman, yeah, yeah, that? yeah. The book on it is so good. so good. It's a great movie. all the backstory. So the so one of the scenes in adaptation because you mentioned it. One of my favorite scenes is when he's sitting in in the movie Nicolas Cage sitting in his apartment at this typewriter and he's like, and you hear his internal he's dialogue. Yeah, yeah, he's like, you I know, should, I should really have a muffin. God, I'm so hungry. Like, I really need some coffee. Don't think better. What if is I have a muffin. Uh, what are what are your opinions of writer's block? Oh. Uh, we touched on this earlier. Uh, I think writer's block is complete bullshit. Really? And is it? Yeah. I think it's a term. Oh, I'll hear, I'll hear the debate. I have it right now. <laughs> I, think, I think it is a term. Like, it's a term people give to a bad week. Like, yeah. I have bad weeks. I don't have writer's block. Writer's block implies that, like, you can't do it some things are just harder than other things but i, I like, get- like like you could have said that we had writer's block on this is the end when we couldn't figure out the third act i don't call that writer's block i say that was the biggest 
struggle no, of this is the I end. think that we just have never experienced it, uh, which is why you don't think it exists. But I think that like you think that we've never said no way. I, I imagine I think what I think what happens to people actually, and we're just lucky that we haven't experienced it, is they become uninspired. Like that, I think, is what writer's block is, and we're just lucky because that has never happened to us. You I know? just I take um, issue with the term, especially block. It's just the term writer's but, difficulties, writer's struggle, no, but I think, uh, writer's cramp. But like, but I, I think writer's you, block implies like it's just not going to happen. But I think you truly lose your inspiration or your who you are as a creative person i think people experience those moments and and that's writer i think that's what writers now, do you think in. that what would you attribute that to do you think that's because you guys are writing what you know or what is I think so present the time? On yeah okay. yeah that's right. a really big okay. thing is when one of us is not doing great. The other one can pick up the weight. Yeah. And right. when one of us is uninspired, the other one can it's be true, inspired. Like, there's moments where I'm just like, I don't even know what the fuck we're doing anymore. Why are we doing this? And then he'll just have an idea and I have to just keep going. And then you plow through it. There's probably <laughs> moments where he's thinking the similar thing. And I'm, and in that moment, I'm not thinking that. And so it, it, it allows us to keep going. But, yeah. And, and there's, think, there's, yeah. there's a beauty to writing stuff on your own, but specifically for movies, I think writing as a team is extremely beneficial. And even if you do write alone, you should be sharing what you're writing with everyone all the time all the time because writer's block as some call it and i would rather not could easily be solved by just getting someone to help you right and i think a lot of writers uh the biggest problem i think writers have is they're like i can't show people until it's ready and that's, yeah. that's poppy like, i think you need you to show yeah. it immediately i think you need to talk thoughts. about your ideas early and i think that's how if you have writer's block that like there's probably a reason you have it. There's probably a reason you're uninspired, and that is the thing you should be writing about. Like I think, and, and I think in order to arrive at that, you need to talk to someone sometimes. Like, and I think that's why it's helpful to have another person. Is like we're very open with each other. We talk about pretty much everything that's happening in our lives with one another, and so it's not like I'd just be sitting there grumpy, and he's like. Got any ideas? Like, no, I'm not not feeling it today. Like, <laughs> like, like it, we would. I would explain why, and that would probably lead to an idea because we like to write in that and way. And I guess where, that's why, to both of us, adaptation is the most genius mm-hmm. thing ever. Because a guy, it's a movie about writer's a block. Guy, yeah. A guy took writer's yeah. block and made it something. Yeah. And I guess that's my beef with writer's block is like that's it's just something stopping you, but it'll put you in another direction. So it's yeah. it's, it's still the path you're taking. Who, yeah. who in your mind, uh, whether right now, you know, alive or dead, are the most, uh, some of the more underrated comedy writers? Well, Hannibal Burris is, is a stand up comic. He's not, uh, a full yeah, uh, writer, fine. but that man is a unspeakable genius. Hannibal His, Burris? Burris. Burris. Okay. He, he, uh, he started this whole Bill Cosby thing. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. he, oh, Bill Cosby started Well, Bill Cosby started, <laughs> started the Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> attribute that to Hannibal. <laughs> we have a guy we're working with named Joe Mandy. He's very bizarrely funny. genius. I think Sasha's one of the funniest guys. Yeah, ever. Sasha Baron Sasha, Cohen. Uh, I mean, uh, Gary Shandling is brilliant to me. Like the Larry Sanders show, I think in a lot of ways does a lot of the stuff that a lot of people try to do today. There, there's a, there's an animator who I think and writer who I think oh, is yeah. one of the greatest geniuses to ever live named Don Hertzfeld. Yeah, and not he a lot of people know the who he funniest. Is. He's amazing. He made this thing called Rejected. Yeah. That is the funniest thing I think I may have ever seen in my entire life. It's he, crazy. He, he, he animates by hand, usually with a 16 millimeter camera. He just started using computers a little, but, uh, it's, it's, he's it's, really, it's, it's like stick figures, literally. Yeah. And it's, it, it's the most genius thing I've ever seen. Yeah. He's incredible. Um, 
And uh, yeah, he's probably not as lauded as one could be. I think he gets nominated. For uh, I think he won an like Oscar, that. actually. They, so never mind. Fuck. <laughs> uh, he's also really good looking. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think like uh, Matt uh, and Trey of South Park and Book of Mormon to me are like two of the funniest humans ever created. Um, again, Judd and um, I mean, who? Who's like, like growing up? I was really into. I mean, like yeah. SCTV, like Martin Short. And, yeah, as, and especially uh, as Canadians, and Kids the, in the Hall and SCTV played on a loop. Yeah, so Kids that's in the stuff. Hall. Yeah, Kids in the Hall is like. I mean, Kids in the Hall is like very was very influential on us, and we watched it a ton growing up. I've seen every single episode. Like, I never will turn on an episode, and it's one I haven't seen. Like, <laughs> Do you want to yeah. see what one that kind of changed our lives? The Shirley, the Shirley, which is the one of the Shirley. It's the one of the weirdest. Things it's one of, of the that. strangest. And they did this short, I believe, called How do you Sausages. Spell that? Sausages. Um, Sausages. S H I R L I N G. It's a made up word. And so, but but what was great about Kids in the Hall is how insane it was. And like, and it was, and, 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 and at the time it didn't seem insane because we watched it so much and it was on so much. But like, like, like as we got older and started to make stuff, we realized like, I don't think I could get that show on air right now. No, it's so crazy. It's so bonkers. And the fact that they got to do whatever they wanted, even though like two out of the five times it was a big miss. Yeah. The other times it's just like they nailed it because they got to do what they really wanted to in their hearts. And like, we've got to work with Lauren Michaels and I've, uh, got to be around him a bunch. And like, that's one of the things we talk to him about the most every time we're around him. And he, and he's very proud of the show, but he says, I mean, he's like the key to that show was letting those guys do whatever they wanted. And that was it. He's like, that was, that show was like, they had to do all of it. Cause that's how crazy it was. We and also, that, we also had a, well, also quickly, Mel Brooks was like a huge thing. Lauren but, is uh, amazing. I mean, he's not like known as being a writer by trade or anything, but he's a very funny guy. And like, he's like, uh, he's like the Steve Jobs of comedy. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, and it's unbelievable what he's done. And like, he's someone that every time I am around him, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's truly like an awe inspiring. And we thing also just from being in Canada, we had a lot of British television, so we got a lot of those British yeah, like comedy Faulty towers and yep. Monty Python. And I think and, that uh, gave us like a, a yeah. an attitude. Towards comedy, that Ab Fab. Did you don't. watch that growing up? My mom no, watched I don't that. Know absolutely, that. absolutely fabulous. Yeah, yeah. My, it was, it was a great show. Yeah. But yeah, my parents were really into comedy and watched a lot of Woody Allen movies when I was growing up. And like, uh, are there any late bloomers in comedy writing who have not say known since they were kids that they wanted to be in comedy or in writing who have kind of come onto the scene and done well that come to mind? I mean, that come to mind. Not. <laughs> there must be. There must be. I mean, it's a tough question, but I figured. No, it it's there. a good. It's a good one. I, I can't think of anyone. Or comedy directing, acting. Tim uh, Ferriss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is Tim Ferriss. When, when I'm funny, it's usually accidental. Uh, I'm going to go with Elon Musk on that. Yeah, Elon exactly. Musk. Would, no, I, I can't. I can't think of anyone. All right, I'll, I'll, uh, it's I'll, one I'll, of those things, though, where it's like. And and I think it's what brings comedians together. It's so funny because like whenever you go, I don't, which I don't often, but at the times I do go to like a Hollywood type party, all the comedians are often like lumped together in one little section because they often all know each other and and they're and they're and often they're the type they're similar types of people. They for whatever bizarre well, reason I, I, known since I, they I, were I, little think, kids that they want to be. I comedians. think you can boil it down, and this is maybe overgeneralizing, but they. Comedians know that life is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's like a common bond that holds them all together. Well, they're all that the like, kids. Like, we're yeah. never going to figure this out. This is all absurd. Yeah. And let's 
kind of analyze how ridiculous. And at the party, they're all the people who want to stand in the corner and make fun of the party they're at, and, oh, that, and, so, and so they all and so they all go. To, <laughs> and, and then sometimes the whole party is that. I but, had uh, uh, Brian Callen, who's uh, been on the podcast and buddy, is a stand-up comic. Oh yeah, he's, he's done funny. a lot of acting, and uh, he gave me my first tour of the comedy he, store. He's in the forty-year-old virgin movie knockoff. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the right. Oh, uh, which one? I, I don't the forty-year-old virgin, virgin who knocked, who knocked up, up Sarah Marshall Superman <laughs> thing. I think he is. I could be wrong, but, but I'm he, uh, sure. he he gave me my first tour of the comedy store, and the the, the a bunch of the the comics just ended up standing outside, basically making fun of the party and yeah. and shooting the shit. But that's where uh, the real comedy is is right outside the comedy club. I think <laughs> when, when you guys think of it could be more broadly uh, outside of comedy, like Evan, I'll ask you first. When you think of the word successful, who is the first person who comes to mind for you? Uh. Uh. Honestly, my cousin David. <laughs> Why is that? I got a, I got two cousins, David and Charlie, who live in Orange County, and they just have a really nice life and three or two great kids. And every time I go to their house, I think this is the most successful group of people I know, just because they're they're really happy and they all really like each other. And it's rare to have a family that everyone likes everyone and they're all proud of each other. So corny answer, but my cousins David. Why and do you Charlie. think more people aren't like that or don't have that? Um. I think they just made up their minds and I think other people deliberate too much. Like they were just like, he was like, I'm a doctor. She was like, I'm going to be a teacher. We want two kids. We're going to live there and we're going to make the best of our lives and uh, go to the beach whenever we can. They just like, I, they, they seem to have cut through a lot of the bullshit and made their lives very simple in a beautiful way. And, and it's all about their kids. And I don't know. I just feel like they are the most level-headed people I know who have stuff like really figured out. Seth, what about yourself? When you you got to say something emotional. Or you're going to be. A I jerk. know, <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> uh, I don't know. My parents, I feel like, seem pretty happy, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, I definitely don't ascribe like a financial um, meaning to it <laughs> um, off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, my parents are on a cruise in Alaska right now eating. Uh, they just sent me a picture of a meal that entirely comprised of tater tots and beer. So I'd say they're doing pretty well right now. <laughs> his, his dad has somehow made vegetarianism unhealthy to my a degree. The, the most unhealthy vegetarian on the entire planet. But uh, yeah, my parents are very, very happy, honestly. And... Um, and and have always uh, have always seen they're very like they're pretty like zen I gotta say which to me is like uh, a good a good place to be and what I strive to be is is just at peace at peace with myself. <laughs> Do you, uh, Seth, give uh, books as gifts ever? If so, I mean, do you have a most gifted book that you've given to people? Um, I don't give books as I give I give sometimes like. Uh, like coffee table type books as gifts. Um, but like if someone's in a mood, like uh, I, I like coffee table books. I'm not, I, I read uh, and I give comic books sometimes to people. I don't often give books to people as gifts because I'm not myself like a huge reader. reader. I'm not like a, a witch comic. 
have I given to people? I've given preacher to people. I've given watchmen to people. I've used to, I've given hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy to people. Cause I love that book. And if they tell me they haven't read it, I give that to them. I've given this book, the art of dramatic writing to people. Cause it's by Lajos Egri. By Lajos Egri. That's, that's something uh, Judd told us to read. That's a book Judd gave us. The art of dramatic. Yeah. yeah. If you're, if you're a writer, 60% of it's useless and 40% of it is gold. It, it references a lot of plays that if you haven't read and you haven't because no, who has? Uh, it, it just doesn't. A lot of it is very referential it, to certain plays. The, the best part of it is it explains the importance of premise and how you must have a rock solid one sentence premise yeah. before and you like dive in. Like a thesis in. for the movie itself. Um, I remember when Judd gave it to us, he said it was Woody Allen's favorite writing book, which was meaningful uh, at the time. And so uh, I've given that book to people. Um, the the that uh, conquest of happiness I've given to people because oh, that's yeah. a great book. That's by Bertrand Russell. By Bertrand oh. Russell, it's like the original. If you ignore like the book. racial epitaphs, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At There's the some time, dated stuff. At the time, were uh, more acceptable than they are. It was written in like 1920 or something like that, I think. Right, but um, it's uh, it's a great. It's like one of the OG self help books, basically. Right, um, I think like the gist of the book is like. Some say life is pleasurable. Some say it isn't. So I think about it. <laughs> um, and so uh, I've given those books to people. Yeah, but not. Uh, I don't give a ton of books to, to people. And uh, I know we only have a little bit of time left. But Evan, what, uh, what about yourself? Do you have a most gifted um, book? Or? Uh, every uh, newfound, uh, every person who becomes a mother uh, who's a friend of mine, I send this Canadian child's book love you forever too which i think is just love you forever the number two or love you forever it's uh, it's got a thing love you forever love you for always as long as you're living my baby you'll be it's it's like a thing between a mother and son and i think that's a beautiful book that i give to anybody who's had a kid it's but it's beautiful uh, uh, it's like it's unbelievably depressing (laughs) no one's been upset i gave it to them really not to you and uh the little prince is phenomenal hitchhiker's guide and then i i often give uh Preacher, V for Vendetta, and The Watchmen to people. But my main thing is Love You Forever. I think that like anyone who has a kid should have that book. Now, we, we were talking about this briefly yesterday, but could you describe the habit that you picked up from Snoop Dogg and, um, okay. in the context? <laughs> we were smoking pot with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> what habit did you pick up? Uh, and <laughs> and we were this is when we were recording that song, yeah. and we were hanging out with him, and we were smoking you pot. You have hose come in when you write now? Yeah. <laughs> I can only write with hose around. <laughs> um, and I don't know how we got to this, but he was like, you like to go for walks? And I was like, not really. I don't really. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I'll, I'll go for like exercise or whatever, but I don't just go for walks. And he looked at me really disappointed and was like, you should, you should go for walks, man. That's, that's a bad move. You're making a bad mistake. And it like haunted me that like Snoop Dogg was disappointed that I didn't take walks. So I started taking a walk in the morning and a walk after dinner, and it has like massively changed my life. I sleep better. I have a better day because, and I just walk for like ten minutes. Yeah. But he just kind of went on like a, a little mini rant, just saying like walking's great, man. It's it's important. I walk with my kids. You it's one go of the reasons walks. people like having dogs. Yeah, you walk with them. Yeah. 
Steve Jobs was a famous walker. <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah, yeah. He was known for like doing meetings on walks. Like instead of like sitting in an office doing a meeting, he would they would walk around. And well, yeah. Now, now I've started to I've become obsessed with like I, I I will stretch during meetings and I don't care who it's with. Yeah. I will, I will as as with you, I will stand for full meetings <laughs> because I don't like sitting. And uh, we're trying to get a new office. And when we do, I'm putting a treadmill in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of other stuff. Because when we're writing, I'm often just like walking around the room like I pace. Spinning a pencil in my you hand. Should try a treadmill desk. Uh, my friend has it. It takes a little while to get used to. But I don't he, think I could do that. I've heard it's. I've heard it's good. I saw someone running on a treadmill reading a book at the gym this morning. That sounds like a great. No one's written a hilarious joke on a treadmill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's never happened in the history no, but of comedy. I'm, I'm gonna. I, I have a. I have an elevating desk that goes up and down. But right. I will try the treadmill desk. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, the key is not running. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and having a safety and having a safety clip on. Uh, if uh, if you could have given your say, let's just say twenty five year old self some advice, what would you have what would you have uh, said? Uh, I would have told myself to lose weight <laughs> earlier. Yeah, <laughs> I just lost like twenty five pounds, and I feel so much better, and my brain is so much sharper. And I was just I wasn't like massively overweight, but I was overweight for those from twenty five to thirty one, and that was a very very big mistake. That was very fixable, and I wish that I could go back in time and be like, just start walking, yo. Start walking. Some nice walks will we'll fix this all. And and uh, and I found out I was allergic to wheat, so I wish I could go back in time and tell myself that. Because <laughs> 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 I found that out three years ago, and if I found that out six years ago, I would have had a lot better of a decade. What about yourself, Seth? I don't know. I was I was probably a lot healthier when I was. I was probably doing better by all means when I was twenty five than I am right now. Um, I probably would have told myself to propose to my wife sooner. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> me <laughs> that, too. That would have saved me. And why and is that? Just because I waited. I, I I mean I waited like uh, seven, six, six and a half. Is it, years is it, is it a coincidence we both made that mistake? I don't know. Uh, probably not. But uh, it was probably like uh, what do they call that? Enabling. I think we probably enabled each other. <laughs> I was like, Seth's not doing yeah, it. I mean, <laughs> right. But I don't know. I mean, I don't have any like major regrets that have occurred between now and then, or any like I think there's lessons I've learned, but they've been valuable and uh, organic to my living process. Uh, but the proposal, I I, I should have proposed sooner that that i would have done differently <laughs> uh I suppose this could be a maybe a similar type of question but for you evan if you could have one billboard anywhere that said anything what would it what would be on it who um uh, I've had a lot of billboards, so that's yeah. a tough one for me to answer. I've been on the yeah, His would yeah. say, would, would you have a child in the exactly. sky or whatever yeah, knocked up I would up say one. the night before, coming out November 24th. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess my biggest beef with the world that I would throw up on a billboard is, uh, this is, this is going to get deep, guys. No. Accept each other. Whoa, Evan. Boom. I don't accept that. I don't like when people don't accept one another. I think they should. And I would put it on top of the Empire State Building. Really? People wouldn't see it very well. Okay, fine. I put it at the bottom of the Empire State Building. On the entryway to the Empire State Building. Uh, accept each other's good. I like that. Accept each other. <laughs> or just accept me with a picture accept of me. me. <laughs> accept Seth Rogen. <laughs> 
Well, I uh, I know we're we're wrapping up here. You guys have a lot to do. We have some more time. Not you man, you, you time? got like eleven yeah. more minutes. Yeah, eleven you, more yeah, minutes. We can go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Minutes, in so. that case, I would like to. When we leave, we have to go back to our jobs. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm right. not so eager I'll, to go I'll, to my I'll, job. I'll help postpone that a little bit. So uh, I'd like to, to ask a couple of fan questions. This one is from Kyle Bailey. Uh, he wants to know about the future of comedy, and this is what he says: uh, Robots, seems, singularity, 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 string theory. What is funny on one side of the universe creates a funny reaction on the other side. No one knows why. <laughs> he says uh, it seems to me that late 70s and then 80s satire Saturday Night Live Seinfeld has led to all things funny that has led to all things funny being absurd hence Old Spice commercials having Minotaur and so on <laughs> seems like the more absurd the funnier at least in the mainstream when will this snap back or when will we, ex- we experience the next direction of comedy or is absurdity the final act of comedy and, and then somebody added to that specifically on not online where you're trying to grab attention yeah. in a distraction. Economy. I heard actually with marketing specifically recently, someone told me that, uh, that now commercials like actually do better if they make no sense. Like that literally just like, like, like Mountain Dew commercial. Have you guys seen that Mountain Dew or commercial? Or the one with like the horse in the moment where it's like this horse to tell you, like there's literally like, I, I, someone was explaining to me the theory where it's like the fact that they make no sense actually makes you pay more attention to them than a, than a traditional commercial narrative. I actually don't don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I got to disagree. It depends a lot. Like on, Superman's and, not absurd. Transparent's yeah. not absurd. Or like Trainwreck is com- is one of the biggest comedies of the year, and it's like completely, you know, uh, a you know a very grounded movie. You yeah, know like what we I mean? we love ourselves some absurd comedy, but yeah. there's there's and room even, for both. And, and, and always Neighbors happens. is our most successful movie, and in a lot of ways, like it goes, it it, it it's quite broad at times, but in premise, it's it's about people who have a bunch of kids moving next door to them like it's not that bizarre you know so i actually think i think the biggest comedies are are not absurd they're they're somewhat grounded in in reality and and the less the 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 somewhat popular but maybe less popular comedies like this is the end which did very well but isn't in the same universe as like neighbors or train wreck is doing much better than like i think those truly absurd ones actually don't do as well as the more grounded ones well it's like you know memento i mean not absurd but so it's confusing to so many people. I mean, yeah. I love Memento, but uh, been, it's been sort of kind of disheartening to, to find that a lot of my favorite movies did very, very, very poorly at the oh, box yeah. office. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. And a lot well, of movies. Well, well, you, we, you, we, we always say this: like, uh, like we'll never be number one, and if we are, we won't be that cool anymore. Yeah, like we, it, it's true. Like we always will have the sensibility where it's like things everyone loves, I hate, and things everyone hates, I love, and I'm just I and, and I don't mean that in like a, I'm not trying to be like a hipster, and I do I also love a lot of mainstream stuff, and, and like I'm the first guy to, in line to see a Michael Bay movie yeah, when it comes like, out. Like, but Fast Fast and Furious is the greatest time you could have in a movie exactly, theater. But that being said, like there's some shows that are really popular. And I'm just like I don't understand why people like this, and there's some shows that no one likes, and I'm like I don't get why. People don't love this, you know, and and as long as you have that sensibility, I think there's a good chance you will not be the most successful person. <laughs> well, so, so I mean, along those lines, and so freaks and geeks, uh, looking back at that, I mean, it, what? And this is a question from Nip, Nick Abregu. Uh, what was it about freaks and geeks that made everyone so successful in their later careers? Is it uh, could, would you attribute to advice they received, or more of a networking effect, or otherwise? I'm paraphrasing, but. I think honestly, I, I mean, my hope is that that Judd just and Paul found 
people who happen to be very talented and, and, right. and had the talent to sustain themselves. And so they, speak, they cast very well. Yeah, I think they cast very well. And yeah, I and like having cast movies with Judd, like he's just got the eye, man. Is yeah. there, so is there he's, any, what he's is very you, good at seeing. Is it just uh, an instinctual thing or is there, do you, is there some. Uh, you get better at it. It's literally just there's not that many really funny people and like when you see someone who's actually very funny like and if you're it's again what we you know you talk about it with investments it's the exact like you start to hone in on just like things that for whatever reason you start to think like this is good like and i think you you can train yourself to become more and more in tune with it and i think that's one of the things Judd taught us is like keep your eyes out for that person if you're watching a movie and someone is in one scene and has one line and is funny that person could star in a whole movie one day maybe you yeah know? like uh, like so- in um in the first neighbors there's this uh stand-up gerard carmichael who's in it oh, yeah, and he great. now has his own show and yeah. we're trying to write a movie uh with our guys kyle and ariel for him to star in yeah. and it all just came from our uh co-worker alex saying i saw this guy and he's, he's got it <laughs> yeah uh, lick, lick yourself like a cat yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> and, and, and i think that i think more than anything that's what it is is that they he has a very good you know, Paul and Judd both have very good eyes for spotting and, people that will that will keep working. And another thing is, um, they look long and hard. Yeah. Like when we were looking for who was going to be the McLovin Fogel character in Superbad, it literally came down to putting up signs in high schools. Yeah. Allison Jones, the casting director, did an epic search. Literally, just putting up signs. Does anyone know anyone who fits this bill? And yeah. his buddies were like, "You should go. That's and cool. Do this." That's and a we very saw, smart approach. We saw like I don't know a hundred kids, and, yeah. and that's just what we saw. Uh, you know, uh, filtered uh, from the casting director onto us, yeah. and. And, and and it's like a Hollywood cliche almost, but when you see that person, you go, it's him. That's the one. Yeah. So so just on McLovin, because this this came up surprisingly often. Uh so Justin uh Nina Basti, I think, and then Dan GMO Designs, I'm not sure. Uh ask them if they if they would ever be willing to make a spin off movie about McLovin. We are not, but we have discussed, which we'll never do what I'm about to say, but we always thought it would be funny to kind of do something where you take Saul from Pineapple Express, the James Franco character, and McLovin from Superbad, and put them in a movie together, but it's never happened. Now, why would you never do it? In the same way that Donald Trump thinks if he changes his hair, he'll ruin his career. (laughs) Yeah. To us, like, Superbad worked. It was everything we ever hoped it would be, and more and I'm not touching it. Yeah. I'm not. It's like if you throw two bullseyes, you're like, no, I'm done with that. Yeah, just back away. <laughs> if, if, if I made a sequel to Superbad and it was bad, it would crush me. Exactly. Yeah. I just I, I don't want to mess with. I it. couldn't deal with that. Does uh, so of course weed comes up a lot. Uh, it, What's that? What? <laughs> the marijuana. Uh, do you find it helps creativity, productivity? Neither, both. I mean, the, because there are questions about like, how do you be Debatable. so productive? <laughs> but, but for you, for you two guys, what, um, what impact does it have on your work? I would say that it makes you a little dumber while you're on it. <laughs> but for us, uh, you know, no matter what job you have, no matter how amazing it is, it's work, and work in some ways sucks. And what we've tried to do at our office, like we have a big buck hunter in our office, and just taking five minutes and playing around a big buck hunter, it like lets you chill out. Going for a little walk to get a cup of coffee. Well, it's and, and, and for us, and for some people, it's a very, very bad idea. I yeah. would say, like, most people, it makes them work but, so much worse that they shouldn't. But some people, it relaxes I them. I think what's important, I think why it's helpful to us is because it's what we do socially. And and so it makes work not feel like work. And I was, I was actually just 
like yesterday reading this thing that Isaac, like it, it was an old article that Isaac Asimov wrote about the creative process that was just republished. And one of the things he talks a lot about is is in his process how it's very important to create like a casual environment. And he says like you shouldn't work in an office. You should work in someone's living room or at a restaurant. And you should – and you need people who are jovial who so you can – who create a fun environment because a lot of writing is failure. And if you're self-conscious that you're going to be rejected, then you won't say your best ideas. And And I think, again, if it's – I think our thing happens to be smoking weed. With some people, it's – it's it's other things, but I think because it makes how we're working feel like a not working environment, it makes our brains function in a slightly more free way, and it makes us pitch ideas that maybe we would feel were too stupid to pitch if we were in a more rigid environment, and it would make ideas like this is the end not exist. Not because we're stoned, but because we are we're working in an environment that feels very safe and that feels very social and casual and that um and and that lets us pitch out the ideas that might seem like the craziest ideas you could ever pitch out but because we don't feel like we're in a work environment where everyone's judging us and that we're um wasting time or not you know hitting the numbers or quotas that we have to be hitting it it allows us i think to be more free creative yeah like in in our office right now Seth has a bunch of paintings that he's bought over the years from home, and he put them around, and it feels like home. That's yeah, I like and that. And I have I like my that. yoga blocks and my yoga straps, and doing the stretches to me is is akin to the smoking pot, which you is one like, of the best uh, Caucasian squats I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You know, from he doesn't have the sitting position usually. He goes from straight standing to perfect. As in Japan, they would call it unkozuari. Unkozuari is. Uh, the shit squad. Yeah. Um, well, well, that's what they tell, call it. tell him what you bought me. I bought Evan like a platform that goes around his toilet so he can sh- squat ah, and shit into his the toilet. toilet server. <laughs> if, yeah. if there's one thing people listening to this should take from this podcast, it's you should be squatting when you shit. It's natural. It's better for you. It's bad for your back. It's bad for your bowels to sit on a toilet. Pop a squat. <laughs> what uh, do you guys use? Now, I feel like since you guys grew up in, uh, in BC, that it's uh, for... That is to pot as like growing up in France would be to wine. Yeah. So is there a particular type of pot? Because I've had friends be like, no, man, you get anxious because of this. You're well, I, using the wrong thing. I will yeah. say th- those friends are possibly correct. Um, I had somebody who was telling me oh, the pot's too strong. I don't like it. It makes me anxious. So I went to one of the stores in California and said, can you give me some pot from 1995? <laughs> and they did. And I gave it to the person. And they were like, there you go. It's not that's what I was missing. But no, it, the, it's, the vibe. It's as strong. As, <laughs> yeah. Basically like, oh, yes. Because right, I've heard basically it's like just... the weakest, like what is the absolute worst weed you could buy now is what the best weed was when we were in high school, probably. You yeah, know? We, we have a problem so, where people will smoke pot with us and we'll be like, take it easy. We don't smoke weak stuff. Yeah, we and, continued smoking good weed. <laughs> but, uh, but to get name specific, uh, uh, Jack Hare. Yeah, that's is, good weed. is a good working one. There's also good ones for work and ones that well, ruin I mean, it's work. very simple. There's sativas and indicas, and sativas are generally kind of uppers, and indicas are generally kind of downers. And when you're working, a sativa is generally better because Jack it's Hare. not bogging you down. Uh, Jack Hare, like a name. Jack Hare, H E R R E R, H E R R E. I think there's one R in the middle, but is there? Do you guys have any just in closing ask or recommendation? Of the people listening, um, I would say the, the the reason that this podcast is happening right now 
is because uh, uh, with that guy, Don Hertzfeld, I mentioned, there was one day where I was sitting there. I was like, God, what I would do to talk to him. And then I just picked up the phone and called my agent and was like, can you get me Don Hertzfeld's number? <laughs> and I talked to him and it blew my mind. <laughs> and then I had the same thing with uh, this guy, Sam Harris, who I look up to yeah, very much Sam and I like the work of. And I just called him. And so I reached out to you in the same way. And you write about this in your book as well. And mm-hmm. I just think if you idolize someone or you look up to someone or you respect someone's work, Try to get in touch with them. It's, there's no harm. And so far, I'm three for three, and I have an advantageous position with an agent and all or that. Incredibly successful <laughs> producer, <laughs> writer, director. But still, still, there's 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 like a, there's some guy named Jordan who I ran into on the street who I email with, yeah. and he now works at Funny or Die, and I keep him in mind. And I, I don't know this guy from anything. He just came up to me one day on the street, and. It's worth a shot. You never know. Yeah. Like if What's you try- the worst that could happen? Right? Yeah. Well, this Jordan guy could kill me one day. <laughs> he could be a serial killer. <laughs> I'd be like totally the wrong people to I've ask been that. eaten by Jordan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's so true. I mean, uh, some fans of mine have uh, you know reached out to Warren Buffett and gotten handwritten letters back from him. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah. Well, well, it's the same thing. Like sometimes, like Seth and I always talk about this, we'll find ourselves doing like an interview or something and we look at each other and we're like, why are we, when did we agree to this? Why would we do this? Yeah. Sometimes people just drop their guards and agree to shit they should. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if that's, <laughs> yeah. a, if that's like a wink wink at me at the moment. No, yeah. <laughs> I've been in whole movies. I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah. And like you, you call the person on the one day where their will is exhausted from whatever else yeah. and they're just like, yeah, man, I'll meet with you as long as I can get off this phone call yeah, right exactly. now. <laughs> yeah. That's what I think too is just, just do it. I mean, like Nike, you meet so many people, Nike. I I mean, Nike has the best tagline of all time, but um, it, it's like we, so many people talk about writing movies and we did write a movie and like, you know, my wife wanted to make a movie and so she raised a million dollars and made a movie. Like, it's not something that is completely unachievable. It's something that if you are somewhat talented and have a lot of determination and are willing to put yourself out there and are willing to fail, then you can probably do something more than nothing. Yeah, and, and, and uh, like, in the end, Superbad was a success, but, like, make no mistake, for... 10 years it was a failure yeah and the first five drafts like if you read them you'd be like this is the worst thing i've ever yeah. read in my and life people told us over and over and over again like i don't think anyone's gonna make this movie i don't think anyone's gonna make this movie and like it literally didn't even occur to us to to listen to them <laughs> like it wasn't even a conversation of like should we stop like i literally we didn't even have that conversation yeah, like, just like, like it, fuck those people let's go to the next <laughs> one you know like, like to picture like stephen king writing his first book and then being like man I'm stumped. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go I'm going to go be a something else. Like Brand, you, just, you just you just keep going. Blind belief in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny that the the, the four hour work week was turned down 26 or 27 times also. I mean viciously, like violently. I have these like angry sort of infuriated insulted letters from uh, acquiring editors turned it down. All right guys, well uh let's uh, I really appreciate all the time. Let's wrap up and uh, we can do that with uh telling people where they can find more about you guys, find you on the social webs and so on if they want to say hi we uh due to a film called the interview we're not as active on the internet <laughs> as we used to be I'm pretty active uh i i muck about on twitter a little a little and you're evan goldberg on i'm twitter. i'm evan goldberg on twitter I'm is it evan or evan d goldberg or just, evan i think it's just evan goldberg i think it's just evan evan goldberg. Goldberg. it's been a while i will i will put it in the show notes for everybody also i'm seth rogan on twitter and that's Rogan with an E or an with A? With an E? Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused. If you, if you write a letter and put it under the second O in the Hollywood sign, or the second L in the Hollywood sign, 
Yeah, exactly. We go up there and we'll read it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, everybody listening. Of course, thank you for listening as always. And for all the show notes and everything else, you can go to fourhourworkweek.com spelled out and just click on podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out. And just drop in your email and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. Thank <laughs> you.